If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. We couldn't do what we do each week without your help. So if you'd like to show your support for Pixel Sift, you can do so right now by heading to our merch store. So that's pixelsift.com.au forward slash store. You can pick up some t-shirts. We've got a couple of different designs there. Tote bag or some extremely yellow socks that I can see Scott wearing right now. He is close to his body at all times. Very excited to wear those. Uh, and if you head to the store, you can get a 25% off uh, if you enter the code SIFTERS. So that's pixelsift.com.au forward slash store with the promo code SIFTERS. Hello and welcome to episode 96 of Pixel Sift. Now, it's the first time you tuned in. We're a weekly video gaming show and we talk to game creators from around the world and we ask them why they create the things they do. My name is Gianni and joining me are my co-hosts, Scott. Hello. And Sarah. <clears throat> Hello. This week, our guest is Ian McClarty. He's the creator of Dissembler and a stack of other games. Ian, thank you very much for joining us this week. And Scott, we're also going to be checking out another topic that's been sort of making the waves on- online. Yes. Uh, our topic today, will be having a glance at the world of mobile games once again, specifically the highly successful yet criticised Harry Potter Hogwarts mystery. Let's jump in, shall we? Yep. So, recently, there's been a lot of press coverage for the mobile game Harry Potter Hogwarts Mystery. Well, if we looked at the statistics of the game's performance, it would seem a highly successful romp from Harry Potter into the gaming mobile gaming scene. Uh, gaming critics seem to be tearing the game and its associates apart. But who is really to blame here? Now, Destructoid, if you would listen to them, uh, they an article written by CJ Andreessen uh, said that this story, though through the first year at least, is not engaging in the slightest. I could sit here and do a thing that game bloggers pretend to be journalists, pat out an article by breaking down the visuals and music <laughs> and whatnot. But none of that matters when the game is this goddamn bad. Uh, and it says that the Hogwarts Mystery thinks it can try squeeze money out of players by putting time restrictions on everything. Now, that being said... I think it's very important to note that that is a heavily opinionated piece. Yes. <laughs> and comes from one outlet. Yes, Absolutely. And Extremely it was a, opinionated. Yeah. And it was a bit of a standout as far as that goes. Um, there's a lot more going on as far as coverage of the game out there. 
Interestingly enough, I think, uh, so an article in Gamer Sutra written by Vadim Bulatov actually said for the first week after it was released, it was firmly established in the top of the App Store ratings by April 30. Uh, so this is, it was released on the 24th and by April 30, it entered the list of games earning more than a million dollars a day. At that point, there are only 10 da- games on the list other than Harry Potter. <laughs> and it seems to me that the success can be explained by examining the influence of five-factor gameplay, monetization, development, team, franchise, and trends. So what do we think about this? It's uh, an interesting sort of trend that we've seen a move away from these timer-based microtransaction and gameplay for mobile games. It seems to be sort of an old-fashioned way of of having it now in in the long history of mobile gaming. It's not not massively long, but we've kind of moved away from that. Yeah, absolutely. That was definitely that first-generation mobile games. They were very much uh, wait five hours or pay $2. Yes. Um, But, yeah, we have definitely moved away from that. I think the caliber of mobile gaming, as much as it is not my thing, mm. has become better, especially with the recent um, adding or of um, PUBG yes. and the other one. Fortnite. <laughs> um, the other one. Yeah. Um, apparently, they've been quite good on mobile. I still am yet to play, although I have installed them. Uh, but you yourself have mm. um, praised them highly, which is very surprising. And they uh, also, yeah, they have sort of moved in that direction in the way that microtransactions have, have moved across the industry in general. In that yeah, they in loot boxes, in console, in all the other games. Away the- from the sort of advantage-giving loot boxes that are sort of requiring you to do it or yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, towards the more cosmetic and, and sort of thing. Now, Ian, you've just uh, made a game, uh, Dissembler, which is out on the mobile platforms. And I'm just wondering, what, what did you think about when you were putting together that game and thinking about how the pricing structure of that would, would sort of fit? So uh, it's sort of a puzzle-based game. It doesn't. It's not really conducive to um, any sort of free-to-play monetization. I don't think. And you weren't thinking about maybe uh, holding back some of the the content on on sort of timers or anything like that. That wasn't something that you were interested in doing. No, uh, no. I think I mean a bit counterproductive because it's it's kind of um, you're not really having a good time if you. And things like that. So it's, it doesn't it doesn't feel like good design. And um, wh- why do you think we have sort of moved away from that? When in the early days, most of the sort of app store games that we would have been playing uh, were exactly that. They were based on timers, and they were encouraging you to come back with notifications. It's hard to say. I don't. Um, I don't really have a lot of experience with those kind of games. I haven't really played many of them. Um, there's. All, I think there's always been done that on the app store. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think like things like Crossy Road kind of changed that a bit where they made it. I think part of the philosophy there was, you know, you make it into play and then that's the main game. Um, so people are entertained um, and then you might from people who are, you know, going to watch the ads or whatever. Um, yeah, I think it's it's definitely very interesting. I, it's not really my perception that, mm. it's, that it's changed. I mean... Every now and then I hear about some game that's got, you know, timers and whatever. Like, didn't, um, didn't that racing game, Real Racing, have timers in or was it, am I mistaken? Yeah, I think there has been a number of um, – I can't remember the exact one that you're talking about there specifically, but it's it, it, one of the things that I do see with the kind of criticism of this type of gameplay is that you're actually kind of holding people back from actually enjoying the experience and that by sort of interrupting them yeah. with these waiting and yeah. the timers, you're actually not – People stop and they go do something else and they might go play a different game yeah. where they can get to the action immediately. Yeah, and eventually... Yeah, I, I mean, it has been quite successful, though. I think it's like 
I mean, you know, if you say they're making a million dollars a day or whatever, then yeah. But yes. that's, I mean, obviously a lot of that is to do with just the fact that it's Harry Potter, right? So Yes, that's right. Absolutely. And I think that's so, a yeah. part of the problem. I wonder what the demographics of that, the people who are actually paying money for that are. I mean, and this are is, they just young kids that have not played something like that before? Mm. And, you know, and that's, that's just for, don't know for some money to unlock this thing. Mm. And, yeah, so... What I think is interesting um, is that obviously the person from Destructoid is probably going to be in a, you know, maybe in a slightly different uh, demographic, exactly as you mentioned there. And maybe that sort yeah, of game is not the one that's yeah. going to be appealed for them. And that's not what people are looking for. But maybe that is exactly what some people are looking for for that experience. The article that um, uh, Vadim Bulatov wrote on Game Sutra. really looking for, for time. Is <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah. Um, he but some saying, people will will pay for any amount of time just to get that slight advantage because, you know, time is the premium that you are, you know, you might have resources to do it. And I think that was part of the motivation between these older style of things, but it seems we've kind of moved away from from that sort of perspective. So Vadim Bulatov, who wrote that Game and Sutra article, says that the problem is that when you do run out of energy during the most dangerous parts of the uh, adventures, the timing is kind of planned and you have to kind of leave your player in a dangerous situation. So adults who are somewhat more jaded to the harsh realities will put the smartphone on their pocket, but children on the other hand are much more sensitive to this, so they will be, be out there and going to do that. That's a really good point, I think. Now, yeah, Jim- I was looking at an article that had a bunch of top 10 tips for like monetizing mm. your mobile games and actually brought up that point is, you know, ultimately the financial success of any free-to-play game is intrinsically linked with how engaged it keeps your players and positioning of, of when you include prompts to pay more money. That's a very good point. Like to a lot of younger audiences, they would see that and go, oh, I want to buy some money. I want to put some coins into this game because I don't want my player to get my, my car- avatar to get hurt or, or something. But a lot of older people might just go, oh, I'll just wait it out. So it's, you know, if they're, they're going for the target audience is maybe younger players because Harry Potter was always a series that had a lot of young young people or young adults kind of involved in it, people that are going to be more emotionally susceptible to that kind of instant gratification, whereas us older folks maybe just kind of be like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to waste my money on this, so I'll wait it out. Mm-hmm. It kind of really like hones in on that particular kind of targeted marketing. I think maybe potentially, you know, people that, that maybe have a bit of money in their account or that they bug their parents enough, they might be able to kind of, you know, keep pumping dollars into mm-hmm that in those situations so i think that's very interesting that although it puts a lot of stuff behind paywalls from what i've seen it, it chooses where to put the paywalls very carefully all the same yeah. I, wonder how, I wonder how a lot of those typical situations like i mean if a young kid is not going to have a credit card oh absolutely yeah like uh you know to their parent uh, i need to i need five dollars to like save harry potter <laughs> <laughs> okay here you go didn't you ask five dollars <laughs> to save harry potter like 30 minutes ago yeah, <laughs> I, I find that I mean, as a, as a kid growing up, I had a lot of friends that would um quote unquote um borrow their parents' credit cards uh, a lot. So yes. I do I do want to I would be interested to know how many of these people are unaware that their kid has got access to maybe like a PayPal account or some kind of a credit account or was just given a gift card with a bunch of money for Google Play or I don't know how it works, you know, and just kind of like you know I want to see like the difference between people that maybe you know have willingly given their kid money for this just to get them to shut up and just to enjoy the game or people that are unaware that their kid is basically siphoning money out of their account into a mobile game, $5 by $5, you know? Um, I think it's very important to really, you know, it's not the developers here, I don't think, making these type of games or not wanting to make these kind of games anyway. You know, it is the commercially invested parties and with Hogwarts uh, and Harry Potter, behind the scenes, uh, the big commercial arm is Warner Brothers. Um, They've just gone through two different development um, studios to do it. Yeah. And uh, I think that's why we resulted in a poor game. But, like, to be honest, my problem with mobile games 
is the whole prepaid concept. The game's free, but riddled with ads and microtransactions. So it's going to be a shit game. Like with that, unless you put money into it constantly, that's how it's designed. Mm. Um, so you know that. I think it's interesting as well. So Jen McLean, who's the director at the IGDA, uh, said that people should stop blaming the development team for games that shouldn't be released. You're blaming the exactly the wrong people. If you pick a game that you found disappointing in the last, say, 30 years, say, bad monetization, buggy, frustrating, just not fun, I'll bet money that the dev team said, please don't release this. Game devs are smart and they care about their work and they want to make a great game and they play games too. But in the large majority of cases, the dev team doesn't get to decide the release schedule. They don't get to decide monetization. They may not even decide staffing levels of product strategy. Often devs will try really hard to make an impossible release day and they do this far too often at the expense of their health and wing being, but they do it because they want to make something amazing and wonderful that'll prompt strong emotions uh, emotions and make your life better. So She's a star, isn't she? What, uh, I think that's the a perfect way to sort of describe it. And uh, yeah, I think this is an interesting game. Obviously, something is working for it. Maybe some people would look at this game and say, look, this isn't, isn't for me or I, I'm against this type of game. Um, but, but on the flip side, it's, it's working for super, him. super popular. So, like, um, I mean, Harry Anderson, Potter is an extremely, it's, yeah. it's ex- extremely lucrative exactly. uh, franchise to dig into, especially in the mobile gaming scene, because despite the people that look at this product and go, well, this is garbage for these yeah. reasons, the monetization, you're going to have so many people that go, I don't care, it's Harry Potter, as they're just throwing money at it, you know, because I've seen Harry Potter fans, they are so passionate, they I'm are so into it that, sometimes, you know. I love Harry Potter. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but, you know, there's always going to be, like, an overlap between people that go, look, I don't want to waste my money on a mobile game, and people that go, I love this, I'm going to give my money to it, and they just Mm. kind of don't think about it as they're going. Because the thing with, like, such small transactions is you don't kind of think about it, and it just adds up and adds up and adds up and adds up, and suddenly you've realized you spent $50 on a mobile game, and it's like, oh, I, you know, all all these little microtransactions just kept happening, you know? Macrotransactions. (laughs) <laughs> micro to macro transactions from <laughs> zero to 100 real fast but yeah with 100 clicks i think the real benefit is, is there's plenty of great games out there that you can play that's uh, sometimes it. that have a one-time purchase like potentially dissembler yeah going uh, down the right path there. by our guest uh, ian mcclarty who joins us now let's uh jump into a quick promo and then we'll be right back with our chat with ian yeah segue mitch what's discord Discord is an online chat service that most gamers use. Incidentally, you can also use it to talk to us at pixelsiv.com.au forward slash Discord. Yeah, you can talk about uh, episodes, you can talk about upcoming topics, you can probably even coerce Mitch into playing a game with you online. That's not going to happen. That is going to happen. You're doing it. I'm saying that's happening. Sorry. Yeah, well... Join Discord. You should grow your beard back. pixelsiv.com.au forward slash Discord. That swipe is so random. Love it. (laughs) Now, Ian McClarty is uh, the developer of the game Dissembler. It's described as a subtle puzzle game about unraveling bold abstract designs one colour at a time, with, and it has a fantastic uh, soundtrack and uh, sound effects in it. Very satisfying. Now, Ian, if people haven't had a chance to check it out, how would you describe uh, Dissembler, <coughs> and, and what sort of game is it? Um, it's... Um, I- I kind of have a lot of trouble um, describing what it is because it, um, and it is kind of a match three game, but I kind of think of it as more of a, a thinky match three mm-hmm. um, or a match three where you, you know all the information up front. Um, so it's much more like solving a chess puzzle or something like that um, about um, experimenting and kind of like seeing how things interact with each other and um, works as you, um, you're flipping pairs of these colored tiles and um flip per turn and then at the end of each turn all the tiles that have um, three or more matching of the same color here and then they'll stay disappeared and can't flip with an empty spot so that kind of creates a lot of interesting 
um, situations where match things in the right order to sort of take it apart in the right way. Um, so why did you yeah. decide to kind of go in that direction and uh, why, what was it about this sort of design and, and that you kind of push forward and, and make a game for, for mobile, and it, but it is also available on, on um, desktops as well? Yeah. Um, so thinking about um, Maths 3s and kind of thinking, they kind of, a lot of the time, they're very random um, feeling um, and you're kind of always just looking for the, the next match and then you do it and then some random tiles fall from the top and I was kind of wondering what something that um, something where you kind of ahead what was coming, um, so you could plan for it. Um, and that got me thinking about how could how could you actually represent what colors are going to replace the color that you've matched. Um, and so that's what kind of led to the infinite mode of the game, which is you've got the, the tiles are sort of inside each other. And so you can see the next three colors that are coming up. So you can um, planning ahead and kind of uh, this leads to, I kind of, I feel like a more kind of satisfying. So that, that was the initial sort of design impetus. And then and I, I quite enjoyed it, but I found when I was playtesting with people that um, overwhelming to look at because it's very colorful and there's a lot going on. Um, and so I thought I would make a, a tutorial to, um, kind of concepts and kind of some some sort of tricks that you can pick up um, gradually. And that kind of just ended up being its own thing. So um, I found in actually making the little tutorial levels that they were actually really interesting little puzzles on their own. So I kind of made that the main focus of the game. So I guess that's the kind of the story of how it happened. Um, now, the game itself, like each level that's in there, how do, what does it take to kind of put together one of those those levels? And, and you know, how do you compare it to, I guess, those more algorithmically generated uh, match stories that you might might see out there? I actually have a, uh, there is a daily mode where, where the puzzles are, are generated. I found, like, um, to have a procedural generator, even though sometimes it will generate things that are a bit easy or too hard, because you'll get these permutations of puzzles that you you wouldn't have thought of on your own, and kind of it leads to oh, actually that's like an interesting interaction or interesting little concept that has been generated. Maybe I can design a puzzle around that. Um, you know, maybe simplify it a bit, remove some extraneous bits. Um, so just doing about two a day, two or three a day. It would take me a couple of days to sort of refine them. Built my own editor. So the, the way I built them, I actually built them backwards, if that makes sense. So I would start with a solution, add tiles and flip them so that it, I knew it was always solvable. Yeah, cool. That makes sense. <laughs> so like, it sounds like, really simple when you put it that yeah, way. Yeah, when obviously. you put it that way, it's like, ah, oh, yeah. of course, that's how you do it. Of course yeah. you do it. Um, when you're playing Dissembler, it has a very tactile mechanical feel, especially for a uh, mobile game. Uh, how did you achieve this? Um, so because like, I wanted um, really good to interact with um particularly because you know back and you're going to be sort of interacting with the same thing for a while if you particularly if you get stuck mm. um so i wanted it to still feel right so um and experimentation was kind of a big part of it as well i wanted people to you know touch it and experiment with it so um so the the way i did the sound effects i wanted it to kind of feel like a sort of a mechanical thing that yeah, like a mechanical switch when you're flipping the yeah. colors. Yeah, that's what it's like. Clicking sounds are actually from, um, I went to Bunnings um, and I just <laughs> looked around for the, 
thing, the clickiest thing I could find, uh, or the one that sort of had the nicest sounding clicks. So, there, you know, I would like try like different locks and um, put some of them on my phone. Um, but I found that the best clicky noise was from a, you know, one of those um, adapters you put in a, on a hose to water the garden and you have all the different modes. Mm -hmm. like yeah. Yes. Those, when you turn the little things to change the mode, that kind of had a really nice clicky sound. Wow. So that's what all the clicks come from is recording that. And then I did a fair bit of processing, but that's what the basis for all the clicks is. So you stepped into many roles in this game then, um, sound designer and coder. And so, the music, I so the music as well was done by someone else. So that was mm. done by Marco Berto. I think he did a really amazing job kind of like just sort of really paring it back and kind of yeah, that's making it feel like different, but also just not getting in the way and kind of feeling contemplative. And, yeah. Bouncing off of that, like talking about how you actually went to Bunnings and sought out the device that made the best clicking noise to kind of use that audio. Mitch has told us that when he's been playing the game, he gets quite a strong ASMR sort of reaction from it. Have you found that other players have had similar feedback about the game or is, is Mitch just a weirdo? <laughs> what's, a, what's ASMR? Uh, it's it's kind of like, you know, when you get kind of like a calming, soothing reaction from, from a sound or an interactive experience. And kind of a shiver Autonomous your, sensory meridian response. Kind of yeah. a shiver yeah, down there your you spine. Go. Yeah, when, yeah um, I have, have had that feedback, yeah. So I think there was an article recently in Pocket Gamer that, where that um, the author was talking about that. So, mm. um, yeah, so it has been a thing, definitely. I think the music has probably got a bit to do with that, but... Also, I think they mentioned that um, you just go from one puzzle to the next. It's not trying to, obviously, it's not trying to do any sort of monetization stuff. It's not trying to even offer you hits. No. Um, and I, I guess the main reason I didn't put it in was a bit of laziness because it's quite, quite hard to do it and kind of hard to make it, put it in without it, making it feel kind of patronizing. <laughs> so, um, but the author of this article, um, her name off the top of my head, but um, she said, um, it, the game, she felt that the game trusted her to to get the answer. Yeah, okay. Like a part of it is just like there's no, the hints can be a bit judgy. It's like, oh, you're not getting this. Are you stupid or whatever? You know, <laughs> it's like kind of like it's a bit judgy in a way. Yeah, you so, don't want to fail at a puzzle game. Yeah, relaxing because there's no judgment. It's just like it's just there. It's the thing. It's not really, it's just a thing, right? There's, it, that's like, it's, it's like when you buy an actual physical puzzle. Mm. This guy called Mr. Puzzle on YouTube. I don't know if you've heard of him. But you're right. You get that satisfaction that just like a usual puzzle, but you at the same time you are doing it via a sit-back technology, um, which is very nice. Was that kind of a gameplay element important when you were constructing this and trying to differentiate your, your puzzle game in, in the sea of other puzzle games, especially on mobile, like making it a very relaxing and more calming and non-judgmental experience? I don't think I was doing that necessarily to differentiate it. I think there's a lot of games that claim to be like calming and that. Right. Um, yeah. But I did want it to feel. Uh, I, I was getting, watching a lot of this um, YouTuber called Mr. Puzzle, and he reviews actual physical puzzles. Um, and so they're like little wooden sort of puzzles or different types of puzzles. And I kind of really like that idea of like a physical puzzle because it's um, it's a thing, and it can't it can't do anything to kind of help you. You know, it's just is what it is. Um, and there's something in, sort of inherently relaxing about just using your hands to kind of like um, interact with something. So I think that was more motivation than necessarily trying to differentiate it from other puzzle games. But I definitely didn't want it to 
feel relaxing in the same way that a lot of other games like try to feel relaxing. Like a lot of them will have this sort of ambient kind of music that kind of like, you know, sort of that wave of like, I don't, I don't necessarily find that it's relaxing. They're trying, to make you, they're trying too hard to make you relax. Exactly. It yeah. feels like it's trying too hard. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's kind of like relaxing by just pairing it back and just like reducing everything, just making it And I will say, that's one thing about your game. It does... It does come across very understated, um, but it is quite fantastic and, and in, in depth, especially, well, you know, it's essentially for a mobile puzzle game, um, which is in stark contrast to a lot of the other. Because, I mean, it, it, personally, puzzle games are the one type of mobile game that I tend to enjoy by default because it's a nice like, little brain, you know, yeah. jolt. Uh, and, yeah. But your one, yeah, it was. It was very relaxing. It would be a nice thing to do on the train or something mm. when you were just commuting. Ian, we've got a question from from Limbot, and he's asked whether or not you have ever made anything in the sort of physical puzzle-making space, mm-hmm. uh, or are you only going to make digital games? Is that something you've explored? Um, I haven't explored it. Um, I don't know if I will. Um, why kind of said on making, why is that? Um, why, why wouldn't you? Well, it sounds like you could actually make... I guess it, it just sounds like a lot of work, I suppose. Yeah. It's like Apple... <laughs> Yeah, fair enough. And also, I mean, I've got to consider, like, you know, what would the return be on that? And, like, yeah. I don't know. It's much hard probably, to harder to distribute yeah, think, physical goods, etc., yeah. etc. Et now you've Asian, made... I think that could work. But you've, it's a lot of work, right? You've got to do all the laser cutting and all that stuff. And yeah, no, guess, no doubt. Yeah. Undoubtedly. Now, Ian, you've made, uh, to your admission, over 30 games of the last five years. Um, it seems like a lot. That seems like that, a lot of games you're making. It, that um, is a lot. What sort of games? Small games. Are you, yeah. What sort, of, <laughs> what, what sort of games do you make and when do you kind of call a point on something and, and, and what sort of things sort of inspire you to make a new game? Um, so, uh, really small free games. Um, they, they're all inspired by different things. Um, uh, um, one um, recent, well, actually, it was 2016, um, games of Solaris, which are made in about a, a week or so. Um, and that was just really exploring a kind of a, a graphical kind of basically taking this graphical trick and then making just something really simple out of it. Um, have you played Doom before? Yes. I've the, also, the original Doom? We've actually I've played, also played a bit of Catacombs of Solaris. We did. We played it at the um, No Arcade. Oh, at, yeah, oh, we're yeah. using the, the foot, uh, the floor mat, the dance controller. Dance. A d- d- DDR type map. Yeah. Um, I played that game yeah. for way too long. I must admit, um, <laughs> but awesome. Like, and, and when you're talking about that, that, that sensory and colours, and and again, going to that ASMR thing, um, you know, without uh, the, the the similarities between synesthesia type um, elements and your game seem to be a bit of a recurring theme here. Idea of like exploring different ways to sort of um, players or kind of get. Gratification from a game, like uh, instead of a score, like yeah, sort of creating visuals. I don't know. I, I think one of the main reasons I still do enjoy playing games is just to see new things. So you know, the reason I want to get to a new level is to see all the new sprites in that in that level. Or you know, with modern three D games, they kind of I'm more interested in kind of just seeing the new environments. Like to me, it's like so, like you know, sort of exploring that idea. Like catacombs is also about sort of exploring that idea of like generated by you as well, but it's sort of it's exploring this visual space. Yeah, absolutely, it's pretty out there, um, and you do something you, gratifying you, about for sure. Just 
just seeing a different color, like different combination of colors, just feels like. And also the uh, nice, kind of right? like <laughs> the you haven't completely done away with you know uh, logical physics. But it does. It's definitely um, a sidestep from what you would think. Um, and if for anyone out there that hasn't seen it, um, do a Google search for Catacombs of Solaris because it is a uh, it's a visual treat. And I think of it as, as well. It's as you said, we have these sort of experiences with moving through these hallways and things like Doom and, and Wolfenstein and all yeah. these sort of games. And it really does sort of twist that on its head, and it feels like you're kind of walking through a kaleidoscope the whole way through, and you're like, am I walking the right direction? Am I not? But then all of a sudden you're like, oh, no, no, I know where I'm at. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's quite an interesting experience. Um, but you don't. You don't no, know. You just like, <laughs> enjoy it, and then you go. You're lost in the pixels. Yeah. And you get someone else to give it a, give it a go. And yep. Yeah, but I think that's it. It's sort of these experiential sort of games. Is that sort of something that you do try to aim for, to have that sort of more of an experience and something that people can kind of talk about rather than being, you know, we're going to make sure we have 10 levels with, yeah. you know, X power-ups and monetize this and Five that. Five bosses. Yep. I'm more interested in um, the experience of playing games. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm not interested in, like, more traditional kind of game play elements, but I'm I'm, I'm being an interesting experience, um, you know, whether that uses more traditional elements. Like, I mean, I've created sort of, I guess, more traditional action games as well um, and puzzle games, obviously. But um, kind of like part of the same spectrum, you're sort of creating an experience and there's kind of like keeping the, the player interested in it and, and kind of like wanting to explore it more. So it's something, something that has some sort of depth to it that compels you to explore it more, I guess, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Now that Dissembler is out and, and people can go and enjoy it, what are you working on at the moment or are you taking a bit of a break and, and what sort of games can we look forward to from you in the future? So I'm, I just finished um, a game which is going to be shown at um, free play mm-hmm. at the party. Coming up at the end of the month? End of the month, yeah. Yep. So are you going to be at free play? Oh, I wish. <laughs> we, we are located on exactly okay. the opposite coast to, to that one, so it's always a bit hard <laughs> I for will, us to... I will be um, attending hopefully most of free play, and now I have another incentive to go check out the party too if I can manage yeah. to make it to that. So hopefully I'll be, I'll be at, at least, you know, the pixels of representative of free play. That so that's a kind of a, a sort of a tribute slash um, riff of a game that I really like called uh, Video Ball mm-hmm. Action Button. Um, uh, Tim Rogers's uh, company. Um, have you heard of Video Ball? Yes, I have actually played it on the on the PlayStation. It's quite a quite a fun, good party game. Yeah, yeah. So I was kind of just like a riff on that that mm-hmm. I um, um, so. I'm feeling pretty good about it, um, so I'm excited to show that. And then I'm working on an action game. I made a game recently for a, a little jam called Selvage Jam, which is where you take a project that you've kind of abandoned and then you, you just polish it up and then release it like for free, right? So um, I'm, I released a game called Jump Grid. Um, kind of... I just sort of put some more visuals on it. Um, it was a game that I kind of abandoned and I'm kind of feeling a lot better about it, like having got some good feedback and like just just refreshing the way it feels, kind of like just made me more excited about it. So I think I'm going to make that into a, um, a more sort of fleshed out game for a puzzle game. So, yeah, I've got a few things going on. And there's plenty of stuff if you want to go check out some of Ian's uh, other work. Uh, if you're interested, you can go to Ian McClarty 
itch.io um, and you can pick up uh, Catacombs of Solara so you can pick up Dissembler uh, which will give you uh, PC and also on Android as well it's on the uh, Apple App Store as well Ian thank you very much for joining us um, it's always a, I guess a real f- pleasure to, to discover the games that we had played and thought were really amazing and, and meet the people that make them so thank you very much for, for making the time to speak to us today now, we will be sticking links up to everything up on our website, and that website is pixelsift.com.au. Uh, this episode of the podcast was produced by Michelo, Fiona, Bartholomeus, and I'm the executive producer, hosting by Scott and Sarah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can support Pixelsift by visiting the Pixelsift store. That's pixelsift.com.au forward slash store and pick yourself up a sweet T-shirt, a tote bag or more. And if you enter the promo code SIFTERS, you get 25% off your order. That's pixelsift.com.au forward slash store promo code sifters scott we're on social media yes you can find us on social media where you get alerts when we go live we love your questions and if you've got the chance to ask the developers we speak to questions each week when we're live we're at facebook.com forward slash pixel sift twitter.com forward slash pixel sift twitch.tv forward slash pixel sift and youtube.com dot uh, youtube.com forward slash pixel sift au and sarah if people want to go listen to our older Very episodes important. um where should they head to you can go to our website to stream all your older episodes, all your favourite episodes, all the episodes. You can subscribe as a podcast either on iTunes, Pocket Cast, or using the RSS link on our page. We're live every Thursday and next week uh, at the same time. Join us for Pixels of Plays as we check out some of the indie games we feature on the podcast and more. And our next proper full podcast episode will be on the 24th of May. And jump on our Twitch channel because Mitch will be streaming uh, Fortnite tomorrow night and a bunch of other times, so Friday night Fortnites. Fighting at Fortnite's. I'm going to shave this damn beard before next week. (laughs) Thanks, Ian. Thank you. If you're in the market for a super addictive puzzle game, you have to check out Mini Motorways on Apple Arcade. It's a city planning strategy puzzler with an incredibly satisfying gameplay loop. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today. That's sifter.com.au slash arcade for a free one-month trial of Apple Arcade, and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. New subscribers only, $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled.